What level of depravity have we sunk to as a nation when bars and even restaurants and libraries are openly promoting family-friendly drag queen shows for kids? In Little Rock, Arkansas, concerned American citizens are pushing back. Find out all about it on today's edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 227 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It is Monday, August 29th, 2022. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States, is a day that will live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, DocWashburn.com, click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single episode. Oh, by the way, Joe Biden's daughter's diary is real and Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Okay, our guest today is Todd Parker. He is head of the Arkansas Patriots Coalition. They are a grassroots community organization aimed at effecting change and preservation of freedom through multiple areas of activism and support of the United States Constitution and traditional Christian values. Todd, thank you for coming on the show today. What in the world is going on September 24th in Little Rock? Well, Doc, I'd be happy to tell you about that, but first I would like to announce that my name is actually Scott, not Todd. Well, I'm doing sleep deprivation here, Scott. I don't know why in the world this says... <laughs> I don't know why in the wor- world the, uh, the, the, the letters I'm reading off a page, which, of course, I wrote, have the wrong name. Yeah. Now, the question is, would you rather be called the wrong name or would you rather be called late for supper? Ah, uh, wrong name. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> my, my profuse well, apologies. What we discovered here is that in September 24th, a bar there in the River Market District called Good Time Charlie's Drinkery is going to be hosting a drag show on a Saturday morning. Now, that's a private business, and typically I wouldn't really care what they've done inside there, except for this instance, it's geared towards little children. Yeah. And, in fact, it is a requirement that they bring a child to, to gain entrance. Yeah. Uh, so, therefore, I've got a real problem. Yeah, and, and um, I saw where you went on their website, and they said it doesn't even have to be your child. Just bring a child. That's correct. I point blank asked him, oh, no, it doesn't have to be yours, any child, which screams to me pedophile swap rings. I just got a bad feeling, Doc. 
Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, granted, I don't know that fact. I'm just telling you that's when I see something like that, uh, I'm very concerned about our children. And why would anybody want to take a child to that? Uh, in fact, I just seen posts today where they people are asking about, you know, being kid-friendly, where they say, well, it's tried to be geared kid-friendly, but we can't make any promises. Sometimes the art, artists, as they're called, cross the line. So that's another big red flag for me. Why would why would you want to take your child to something like that? If you want to read them a book, do it at home, or if it's not really necessary that people dress up in drag to read your children books. Okay, now where where do they say that we can't make any promises and sometimes the artists cross the line? Uh, that was a comment that was sent to me today. Somebody pulled off Facebook. I'd had to go back and try to okay. find it. All but, right. yeah, uh, it was on one of their pages, I believe. But, Good grief. Uh, Good time, Charlie Barr, or whatever, yeah. Because those of us, those of us who are on social media and have seen some of the viral videos, have seen some of the, uh, the screenshots that have gone viral from so-called family friendly drag queen shows, you know, where they take little kids, uh, a lot of really unfamily friendly stuff is going on. Right. Uh, exactly. And what what I saw today, uh, I don't know the date, but recently in Texas somewhere, there was one of these similar events is what we're talking about. Held yeah. at a little town in Texas at a bar where Antifa and BLM actually posted up like SWAT teams on roofs of buildings and uh, up and down the road to not only provide protection for uh, their patrons, but to actually incite violence. So we've not seen any such threats for this yet. Uh, we're only new to this. I anticipate problems from them here too. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this is going to be on a a Saturday, uh, yes, Saturday, September twenty fourth. Uh, Drag Queen Story Hour. What from nine to eleven in the morning? Correct. That's just so strange. I guess they're going to get that out of the way because then they have the lunch ru- rush come in. You know, you know, around uh, eleven and twelve. Um, I, to be honest with you, I don't know. Never been in this establishment, but oh, me either. Right. Yeah, you know, here's the weird thing. So, it's called Charlie's Good Time Drinkery, and Charlie's yes, is spelled C H A R L E E apostrophe S. I went on their website, and I'm like, okay, if they weren't doing this outrageous, flagrant, um child unfriendly drag queen show if it was just a regular place that serves alcohol and serves food you know the sandwiches look pretty good but there's no way in the world they're getting a penny of my money if they're doing something like this correct mine either i mean and uh, the tickets are actually i can't now find the event on their page anymore some people tell me it's because i'm blocked i don't know but what i do know that they're telling tickets through the event bright uh, app and they're still up and running on that site. So I'm, it may be because you're blocked. I see something here, um, from just a couple of days ago. Have you booked your table yet? DM us and get on the list. Tables are going fast. Doors open at 11. Show starts at 12. Drag brunch Sunday at noon. But that was probably something for adults yesterday. Yeah, yeah, they, they, what I've noticed since I, and since I found out about this a few days ago is they regularly have drag queen shows there, uh, maybe multiple per week. Uh, this is the only one I know about where it's targeting children with a story time. 
Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yes, yeah, I uh, see something for Drag Brunch Week, uh, yeah, Sunday, right. August 28th. Um, and here's a weird thing. I also see posts just for uh, regular live music, which has nothing to do with drag queen shows at all. Correct. It, it, yep. it's, it's just the, the, the thing is so disjointed uh, to me. But um, I'm scrolling back to see if I can can find something for the for the one on September 24th. Yeah. yeah, it was there. I can't find it now, but but I know it's still up because I looked it up on the Eventbrite, and it's still there. And actually, yeah. it gives the actual physical address. It just doesn't say the name of the place. Right, right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. I remember a few years ago when the library downtown was going to have a uh, drag queen story hour back before I got fired from uh, Cumulus Media, KRN, for not taking the vaccine mandate. I was still doing an afternoon drive show, talk show on News Radio 1029 KRN. I started talking about it. The next thing you know, the uh, the library got so much heat, they got so much pushback that they canceled it. And, of course, now the library, now the library is going to do something like that. And uh, yeah. State Senator Jason Rapert is is publicizing. He's scheduled to be on my show tomorrow to talk about it. But awesome. So what? Um, you know, to to make the ba- best case for why people should uh, sign up to uh, to show up and 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 protest this thing uh, downtown at uh, Charlie's Good Time Drinkery on September twenty fourth, a Saturday. What what uh, what do you want to say to my listeners for why they should go ahead and 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 go to your your Facebook event page and say yeah I'm going to go out and be heard. God, what I'm going to tell you right now is you can see this. We're living now in one of the most depraved societies we've ever seen, uh, and they've ramped up the attacks on our children. What used to, this kind of event used to be done hush hush. It's not new. Uh, now they're they're bold enough to do it out in the open and broadcast it. And we don't take a stand for our children who's going to. Uh, I think we need to be there with numbers. We need to be there. We, we're going to be peaceful. Don't misunderstand me. Of course. We're not encouraging anything remotely resembling violence. Right. But we need to be there. They need to know we're there. They need to know that we're tired of what they're doing to our kids. Yeah. And, Amen. Uh, so that, that's kind of where we're coming from. Let's, let's let them know that uh, enough's enough. Uh, you do what you want to do in your own time. You want to swap clothes, you do it, but leave the kids alone. Yeah, because this this is this is clearly obviously abuse. Children don't belong anywhere near, uh, you know, uh, a, a place that has drag queens. We've all seen no. what happens. Well, especially whenever they make it crystal clear that the child doesn't even have to be your own. You could go literally kidnap a child and take him to this or her to this event, and nothing said because they made it. They may told me point blank it doesn't have to be your own child. Right. So I'm very concerned. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a very loud noise. Um, yeah, I got in front of the alarm. No, that's okay. So I'm scrolling back. I'm scrolling back through their their public Facebook page, um, Charlie's Good Time Drinkery, um, and I'm back to the middle of July, and it looks like, like you say, now the event is still on Eventbrite. People can still well, they scrubbed it off of their page, yeah. But it looks like, yeah, it looks like they've s- totally scrubbed it off of their public Facebook page. 
Well, they're um, where the way on to make had one of this. Two, that Charlie, the woman, and a lady named Melissa Blayton are the two that are promoting this. Uh, Melissa Blayton actually inboxed me a couple of days ago and I said, why would you want to come to an event like this you're clearly opposed to? And before I got a chance to really to respond, she blocked me. So now I can't go back and uh, correspond with her. But, yeah, uh, it's those two. Charlie, I forget her last name, the owner of the bar, his wife, and Melissa Blayton promoting this. But they they know that we're on to them. They know about our protest. So that's why I'm sure they've hidden the event, but it's not canceled by any stretch of the mandate yet. Uh, that's our hope that they will shut it down before it takes place. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, I'd yeah. rather not have to protest. I'd rather them cancel it. So, so you you put up a a, a public. Well, first it was a, a, a um, I guess unbeknownst to you, it was a private event page, and then Facebook right. won't let you take a private event page public. So you did a new one that's public. Let everybody know because you know we want to publicize. We'd like to get some peaceful protesters down there just to sure. uh, to stand. You know, I guess out on the sidewalk, across the street, whatever, in opposition. Yes, sir. Um, and that was all they needed to go. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We'd better get this off our Facebook page. Right, exactly. Which I just thought was amazing. Um, so this Melissa Blayton. Well, pers- you know what happened a few weeks ago, Doc, in Northwest Arkansas? I don't remember which library it was. It was Fayetteville, Roger, wherever. But in Northwest Arkansas, they were fixing to do this. And with the help of Ms. Jan Morgan and others who pushed for it and made phone calls, emails, uh, they shut it down. So maybe we get this look, uh, successful here. I would hope so because, you know, it's, it's the, you know, we, somebody needs to be concerned about our children. Right. And uh, it's got to go, it goes much beyond just, if you get on Google or Facebook and type in drag queen story hour, you will be alarmed at how, regular this is taking place so this is just one battlefront where it will be many more it looks like yeah i i think you're right i think you're right and um you know um scott let me make sure i get this right scott you got it, Dan. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you um you know you coming forward with this um and uh letting folks know about it so this is interesting. This Melissa Blayton person, who apparently is one of the uh, people promoting the Drag Queen Story Hour, it looks like she has taken um, her Facebook page, her personal Facebook page, private in the sense that, <laughs> well, you know you know how it is yeah. on Facebook. Um, you can do your settings so that anybody can see anything you post. Right. Or, or you can do your settings so so that unless someone is your friend, all they see is when you update your cover photo, and that's it. Exactly. That's correct. So I was researching this thing last night, and, and I was looking at Melissa Blayton's Facebook page and seeing her before and after pictures. She she does this uh, this weight loss stuff. And the before pictures, oh, really? yeah, yeah, the before pictures were like, okay, wait, that's not her. No, clearly oh, it wasn't geez. her. The after picture, she has a mole between her nose and, and her and her lips. The before picture, she doesn't. The after picture, oh. she looks like um, 
I don't know, maybe Hispanic, maybe a little bit of African-American wow. thrown in there, whatever. The before picture was extremely white and Caucasian. And I'm like, okay, wait, but this is – so. but that's a whole other show. That, well, that's, that, that, just, that just goes to show you she's a blatant liar. <laughs> I mean, I, it was just one of the most unusual things I'd ever – But I, now her page is hidden. Well, you all you can see is when she updates her cover photo. Gotcha. You you can't see uh, yeah. you know the I actual post. After she mentioned me, said what she wanted to say, and then blocked me. Yeah, yeah, very unusual, very unusual. Yeah, yeah. But but such is life. Oh, well. So uh, well, look uh, before I let you run. Uh, why? Because because I I in the interest of full disclosure, I met you a couple of times when I was running for Republican nomination for governor earlier this year. Why don't you tell folks a little bit more about the Arkansas Patriots Coalition before I let you run? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, uh, guys, uh, ladies, we formed this about a year ago for the purpose of not necessarily a situation like this. This is a new endeavor for us here. But to uh, join like-minded patriotic uh, Arkansans together, uh, we train our members in firearms training, CPR training, first aid training. Uh, we teach classes on canning, food preservation. And we just the last weekend held a fantastic event with Jan Morgan and Colonel Allen West uh, uh, where they spoke to us on preserving our freedom. So reach out to me uh, on Facebook. I'll be glad to talk to you about joining up with Arkansas Patriot Coalition, put you with your zone director. Very good. And it is Scott Parker. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, Scott. Look, Todd, if you're bringing me food, we we can call you Todd as long as we're bringing you dinner. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got food. Todd's good. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. All right, Scott Parker, Arkansas Patriots Coalition. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the program today, and I have shared uh, your event site uh, about the peaceful protest. Uh, coming up September 24th in downtown Little Rock. I've shared it on the Doc Washburn Show Facebook page. So I'm hoping some people will will check that out and will say, yeah, I'll be showing up too. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me and appreciate your support. Fantastic. Scott, I appreciate you. appreciate your patience today. God bless you. Have a great day. Godspeed. Thank you. You too, my friend. Goodbye. All right. Bye-bye. That was embarrassing. I don't, you know, I'm not used to calling people by the wrong name, but uh, perhaps I should belabor it for a few minutes. Um, look, we appreciate so much our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do here every day, five days a week. Our advertisers are our friends, and we hope that you will patronize them. Uh, we have uh, reports alarming reports coming out of Baghdad and our embassy in Baghdad. And we'll have uh, have that for you here momentarily. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still 
here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there. And there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Thanks again to Jonathan Presswood, our friend over at Edward Jones Financial Advisors, and Mitch Ward, our friend over at uh, Red River Your Way, for being our friends, our sponsors, our advertisers, for making it possible for us to do what we do here um, five times a week. Now, i got to share some very troubling news with you. And the postmillennial.com has this. We have been seeing videos gone viral all over social media about what apparently is going on at our at our embassy in Baghdad. And this is very troubling. The postmillennial.com breaking rioters storm presidential palace in Baghdad, U.S. Embassy threatened. And they got pictures. It was reported on Monday that the presidential palace in Baghdad, 
Iraq was breached and that the U.S. Embassy was reportedly evacuated. There were reports of U.S. Embassy employees seen leaving the embassy and evacuating the Green Zone via helicopter. Muqtada al-Sadr announced on Monday he was leaving politics, spurring Shiites to riot and breach the presidential palace. Al-Sadr is their biggest political leader in Iraq and once led militias during the war. He said, I hereby announce my final withdrawal. A riot broke out inside the presidential palace as people stormed in and law enforcement attempted to hold them back. U.S. Embassy employees could be seen leaving the embassy and evacuating the green zone via helicopter. It was in the wake of this announcement that al-Sadr's supporters stormed the palace, which is inside Baghdad's fortified green zone, containing government buildings. Barriers were pulled down under the force of hundreds of people who used ropes to breach the barricades once inside. Al Jazeera reports they rushed into its lavish salons and marbled halls, a key meeting place for Iraqi heads of state and foreign dignitaries. Al-Sadr's supporters have been calling for the dissolution of the Iraqi parliament. Al-Sadr said as part of his statement that his calls for reform had not been heeded. Again, Al Jazeera, which was once Osama bin Laden's favorite network, reported Monday's announcement came two days after al-Sadr said all parties, including his own, should give up government positions in order to help resolve the months-long political crisis while calling on those who have been part of the political process since the United States-led invasion of the country in 2003 to no longer participate. Reuters shared photos of civilians enjoying the spoils of the presidential palace after breaching its defenses. Ah, People jumping in the pool. So this is crazy stuff, and I'm wondering, you know, at, at at what point more media will be either confirming or denying all this. Ah, okay, okay. This breaking right now, this breaking right now from... AA.com. Hang on, hang on. Let me find out what this is. This is like trying to uh, change the tires on a 57 Chevy going down Interstate 30 through uh, the middle of uh, of Arkansas. AA.com is clearly a major news website, but it's out of a different uh, out of a different country. The Anna Delu Agency. Um, okay, it's it's the big it's the big news website out of Turkey. U.S. denies evacuating embassy personnel amid Baghdad unrest. The U.S. on Monday denied reports claiming it has begun evacuating diplomats from its embassy in. Baghdad amid mass unrest after powerful Shia cleric Muqtada al-Sadr 
announced his resignation for politics. A State Department spokesperson told Anna DeLue agency that reports suggesting American personnel have started departing the embassy are false. Spokesperson added, ensuring the safety of U.S. government personnel, U.S. citizens, and the security of our facilities remains our highest priority. Oh, okay, so it's a whole different ballgame than, than, than Afghanistan a year ago today. Oh, I see. See, Afghanistan a year ago, you had the uh, the top spokesperson for the U.S. Department of Defense, John Kirby, saying, look, we're not going to shut down the embassy. We're not going to evacuate the embassy 24 hours before they evacuated and shut down the embassy in Kabul, Afghanistan. So if they say they're not evacuating, I guess they probably are evacuating. You know, just based on, um, you know, previous previous behavior of official uh, government spokespeople for the Biden regime. Caitlin Collins, CNN's chief White House correspondent, uh, says the National Security Council's John Kirby says the clashes in Baghdad are disturbing, but reports that the U.S. Embassy has been evacuated are false. Same guy who said a year ago, we're not going to close down and evacuate our embassy in Kabul, Afghanistan, less than 24 hours before. They did. Now, Recently, in the last two or three years, we spent a billion dollars to build a new embassy building in Baghdad, Iraq. Of course, that doesn't matter to Dementia Joe or the people pulling his strings. I mean, you know enough to understand that, right? Because it's not his money. He couldn't care less about what he does with your money. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. Now, we'll keep an eye on that for you while we continue to do the Doc Washburn show today. Uh, most people who listen, listen to the podcast after the fact. But if, you know, if I got breaking news going on while I'm doing the live stream, then, I, you know, it's not like I'm going to ignore the breaking news. Okay. Um, Deborah Hine over at American Greatness. New article. Lawyer says January 6th clients are being tortured. A lawyer for several of the January 6th political prisoners says his clients are being tortured by a system of anarcho-tyranny. that considers them to be a subhuman, subconstitutional class of people. In an interview, Joseph D. McBride said he is building a case to sue the federal government for millions of dollars over the abuses his clients have suffered. The devout Catholic told Daniel Horowitz over the blaze on his conservative review podcast Monday, that he has witnessed the deepest part of evil while representing the political prisoners. He said, 
They are gaslighting the entire American public. They're calling these, these people extremists and terrorists, but the extremism and the terrorism lies with them. Attorney McBride continued, January 6th did not happen in a vacuum. In the year or so that preceded January 6th, you had all the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots all over the United States of America. We saw the burning down of cities, the attacking of police officers. Members of Antifa out there in black block covered head to toe in full riot gear, going at it with police, the looting of stores, you name it, we saw it. McBride posited that the left-wing agitators got a pass in 2020 because of new and expanded definitions of civil disobedience and political protest, which allowed government entities to view even violent riots as grounded in the First Amendment, not criminality. In the wake of all this, he explained, the pro-Trump protesters showed up in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, with the impression there was this new and modern definition of political protest. Of course, most of the January 6 rioters came nowhere near the levels of violence the nation saw during the George Floyd riots. McBride was careful to point that out. Because of who they were, however, that is mainly white, middle-class, patriotic, pro-Trump Americans, They were targeted, persecuted, and not given the constitutional protections the much more violent and destructive left-wing rioters were routinely given. McBride argued, for the first time in U.S. history, the political party in power is hunting down and jailing members of the opposition party for political dissonance, and not only that, they're torturing them in jail. This is the stuff of dictatorships. He said he has two clients who are both currently being tortured in jail, Ryan Taylor Nichols of Longview, Texas, and Christopher Quagland of New Jersey. The attorney explained that both of these men are routinely thrown in solitary confinement for long periods of time, which violates international norms. And when their advocates on the outside speak up, Against their abuse, they get treated even worse. He told Horowitz, legally, a pretrial detainee in America is not allowed to be punished, never mind tortured. He said, in the United States of America, we only punish convicted persons, meaning you had your day in court and you either were convicted guilty or you took a plea and you admitted guilt. Then, and only then, can you be punished and jailed? And even in those sets of circumstances, the punishment for your crime is the deprivation of your freedom. The standard for a convicted person is no cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, it's in the Constitution, remember? The standard for a pretrial detainee, because that person has not been convicted of any crime and is still presumed to be innocent, is that no punishment of any kind is acceptable, meaning if you punish somebody and they're a pretrial detainee, you have violated the constitutional rights. I, I, I got more about that in a minute, okay? So, 
Christopher Quaglin is an electrician who was out of work in 2020 due to government policies surrounding COVID. He has neither been in serious trouble before nor arrested prior to this incident. Friends and family of Christopher Quaglin said in a give, send, go plea for help. A lot of Christians and conservatives are using give, send, go instead of GoFundMe because GoFundMe has shut down pages trying to help Christians and conservatives. Anyway, they say he has always been an ardent supporter of the police and some months prior to his arrest actually led a local demonstration in support of the men and women in blue serving his hometown. In dozens of letters to the federal court judge, friends and family have testified that Quaglin is not the violent capital insurrectionist federal authorities have portrayed him to be, but an extraordinary neighbor who would help you work on your home if needed. Attorney McBride told Horowitz over the blaze that during the riot, Christopher Quaglin got into some shoving matches with police, picked up a shield at some point, and picked up a can of mace. Government prosecutors allege he was part of the crowd that attacked Metropolitan Police Officer Daniel Hodges, who was seen on video trapped between protesters and a set of doors to the building. Horowitz said that if Black Lives Matter and Antifa were prosecuted for merely pushing and shoving, new prisons would have to be constructed to hold hundreds of thousands of people. McBride agreed. He said if this was under if this were under normal circumstances, this would be done already, taken care of a long time ago. Quaglin, who's being held in one of the satellites of the D.C. Gulag, Northern Neck Regional Jail in Warsaw, Virginia, has celiac disease, a chronic digestive and immune disorder that damages the small intestine. McBride told Horowitz, this is a serious underlying condition. He's highly allergic to wheat and gluten. When he eats it, he has a severe adverse reaction. It's very bad. He loses weight. He vomits. He has diarrhea. He has intestinal cramps. He breaks out in lesions on his back. It's so bad that he would choose to not eat and starve over the pain of eating these foods. This is not a lifestyle choice. McBride said Quaglin has lost 45 pounds because prison officials refuse to provide a diet that won't make him sick. McBride said Quaglin has been transferred to six different facilities since his arrest in April 2021, and his mistreatment grows worse with each transfer. The prisoner has been at Northern Neck Regional Jail since December 20th, 2021. The attorney lamented he has been moved six times, and each time his lawyers have to intervene and tell prison officials that he requires a special diet for his condition. He added that every time he speaks out in defense of his client, retaliatory action is taken against him. He said, right now he's locked away in a cell with no windows, no way to reach out to the world simply because his lawyer and his family are speaking out on his behalf. This is a life or death situation. At one point, prison officials took him out of solitary confinement and put him in a block with COVID-positive inmates. So naturally, Quaglin, who is already weak, from food deprivation, got COVID. Attorney McBride noted that 
Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, Louis Gomer of Texas, and about 14 other members of Congress have all spoken out on his behalf. Ryan Taylor Nichols is a decorated military veteran who served his country honorably in the Marine Corps and who has no prior contact with the criminal justice system. After his military service, he was diagnosed with PTSD, which has been left untreated throughout his incarceration. Nichols is currently being held in the D.C. Gulag. Only a few years ago, Nichols was hailed as a hero because of his charity, Rescue the Universe, which rescues people and animals stranded because of natural disasters. Nichols went viral in 2018 after he rescued puppies during Hurricane Michael. He was actually invited onto the Ellen DeGeneres TV program where the host donated $25,000 to the Humane Society in his name. When DeGeneres found out that Nichols couldn't afford to go on a honeymoon with his wife, Bonnie, she gave him $10,000, which he used to buy a boat for more rescue operations. Attorney McBride told Horowitz over the blaze, this guy is the best of what America has to offer. He's a small business owner. He's a father to two beautiful young boys. He's a husband. He's a son. Just a good man who loves his country. McBride said Nichols went to the protest January 6th to end up having to defend himself and defend some other people during some really difficult acts of police brutality. Prosecutors say Nichols assaulted law enforcement officers during the riot and incited other people to violence. Last December, Judge Thomas F. Hogan denied Nichols' request to be released pending trial because he allegedly called for an actual war after the riot. Judge Hogan said, it's clear to me there is an identifiable threat. Attorney McBride said he has been in custody since January 18th, 2021. He spent most of the first nine months or so in solitary confinement until we started screaming about it. McBride said they were using COVID-19 as a pretext to lock people in solitary confinement. Horowitz pointed out that while the COVID pandemic was used as a pretext for solitary confinement, it was also used as a pretext to let other violent career criminals out of jail. McBride said the jail stopped doing it after several lawyers made a fuss, but prison officials continue sporadically to put Nichols in solitary confinement anyway to torture him. McBride told Horowitz on April 20th, they put him in solitary confinement for reasons that made no sense. They left him there for about three weeks. After three weeks, he needed to be put on suicide watch, the lawyer said, because they had broken him down. He wanted to check out and give up. According to Attorney McBride, the reaction to this was more abuse and ridicule with prison guards appearing to take sadistic glee in Nichols' pain. He said the remedy for suicide watch was to put him in a plastic tie back suit, put him on a table in a room with lights that didn't go off for three days to make fun of him and to say, look, if you're really going to kill yourself, 
Just get it over with because we all want to go to lunch. They have psychologically tortured him for a very long time. Now, what makes these violations of basic human rights particularly galling is that liberals historically have championed the rights of prisoners, yet by and large have ignored the plight of January 6th prisoners. Attorney McBride noted the state of New York last year adopted the Nelson Mandela rules, the international standard for solitary confinement in the law. He explained, Solitary confinement is defined as 22 hours or more a day of being held in isolation, absent meaningful contact, and it defines prolonged solitary confinement as solitary confinement for more than 15 days. It outlaws solitary confinement for one day for anybody with a serious physical or psychological condition, and it outlaws the use of prolonged solitary confinement against anyone for any reason. McBride pointed out that Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat, Massachusetts, and Dick Durbin, Democrat, Illinois, as well as the ACLU, Amnesty International, and most other groups on the left have long been on the record condemning solitary confinement as a form of torture. Attorney McBride insisted it is absolute, unequivocal torture. Before expressing deep disappointment in these so-called human rights advocates, he said, none of them have reached out to help or spoken a word in defense of these American citizens who have been tortured during the duration of these past 19 months. Most lawyers won't even touch the issue because they don't have the heart or the stomach for it. We're speaking out now every opportunity we get to educate the public. Ryan Nichols' wife, Bonnie Nichols, Ashley Babbitt's mother, Mickey Withoft, and other supporters have been holding a vigil outside the D.C. Gulag in recent days, singing and praying and doing as much as they can to give the political prisoners comfort. Attorney McBride said another one of his clients, Richard Barnett, started the tradition of singing the national anthem every night at 9 p.m. Barnett, who was pictured with his feet up on the desk in Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office, was released from the D.C. Gulag last year. Attorney McBride said he sent the ACLU and Amnesty International an emergency request for intervention August 3, 2021, citing seven specific instances in which January 6 political prisoners have been tortured at the D.C. Gulag among the abuses. He stated that Barnett had been beaten, people had been maced, put in solitary confinement, and Ryan Samsell was beaten until his eye popped out of his head. The latter incident happened at the D.C. Gulag in late March of 2021. Samsell's attorney, Elizabeth Pasqualani told ABC News. Two guards came to his cell in the early morning hours, ordered him to put on zip-tie handcuffs, and took him to a nearby cell. Pasqualani, the attorney, said Samsell told her that one of the officers then proceeded to punch him, hit him, kick him as he lay on the ground. According to Pasqualani, Samsell was taken to a hospital and suffered a broken nose and a fractured orbital floor in his eye socket and that he still cannot see out of his right eye, which might be permanent. 
Washington, D.C. Department of Corrections Director Quincy Booth claimed a department probe cleared its officer of any wrongdoing. Sam Sell was relocated to a separate facility after his attorney, Pasqualani, requested his transfer following the savage assault. Attorney McBride said he implored the ACLU and Amnesty International to investigate the allegations of abuse and help the suffering January 6th political prisoners, saying they were fellow Americans in danger of being tortured to death. McBride said the ACLU and Amnesty International never even wrote him back. He said, I've circulated that all over the world at this point. Nobody lifted a finger to help us. Those organizations are not not worth their salt. Okay, Amber Alert, West Memphis, Arkansas. I, I don't I, I can't do anything about that right now because I'm I'm not out on the roadways. But your phone goes off. I mean, they don't care about prisoners being tortured in, in federal prison, but they will give you an amber alert. <sighs> yes, we all should be concerned about children who have been kidnapped. Two weeks ago, Attorney McBride filed a petition for writ of habeas corpus against Attorney General Merrick Garland and D.C. Gulag Warden Michelle Jones on behalf of his his client Nichols. In the petition, the lawyer described the, the in the petition the lawyer described the deplorable conditions at the D.C. Gulag. U.S. Marshals inspected the facility pursuant to Judge Royce Lamberth's contempt order, October 18, 2021, although prison officials barred the Marshals' entry into the jail until the facility had been cleaned and scrubbed by the prisoners themselves. They still managed to find evidence of systemic failures, according to the petition. Specifically, the marshals found that water and food appeared to be withheld from the detainees for punitive reasons. Inspectors observed large amounts of standing human sewage, urine and feces, in the toilets of multiple, multiple occupied cells. The smell of urine and feces was overpowering in many locations. The water in many of the cells had been shut off for days, inhibiting detainees from drinking water, washing hands, or flushing toilets. In the petition, McBride also accused several guards of engaging in antagonistic and abusive behavior against the January 6th political prisoners, including threats, racial slurs, sexual assault, as well as mental and physical abuse. Lieutenant Moore, according to the filing, gassed prisoners on Veterans Day, November 11th, because one inmate refused to wear a mask, resulting in two detainees being carried out in stretchers. Attorney McBride asked the court to declare that Nichols is being held in violation of his 5th, 6th, and 14th Amendments of the United States Constitution and to order his immediate release from unlawful custody. McBride filed a petition for writ of habeas corpus in April, accusing U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and Jail Superintendent Ted Hull of treating Quaglin with deliberate indifference toward his medical condition and demanding that he be released from pretrial detention. 
The lawsuit states that Quaglin's constitutional and human rights are being violated. The complaint says petitioner alleges that his serious underlying medical condition, celiac disease, has been treated with deliberate indifference, which has caused him to suffer irreparable harm. Noting that by April of this year, Quaglin had lost almost 40 pounds. A filing adds, respondents have also moved petitioners six times over the course of the past year and have failed six times to feed petitioner correctly. This is not negligence, nor is it a mistake. It is purposeful and deliberate torture. Petitioner has been forced to go multiple days without food each time he arrives at a new detention center because of a failure to send him with celiac-safe food or prepare celiac-safe food for his arrival, which has directly resulted in Petitioner going over five days without eating on multiple occasions. Petitioner has kept and continues to keep a food, starvation, and mistreatment log since being taken into custody April 2021. Petitioner has been forced to spend approximately $7,500 on commissary since being detained. He does this out of survival because that's the only way he can guarantee himself celiac-safe food. Petitioner's commissary is routinely confiscated to punish him, which causes him to starve because he is not being fed celiac-safe food. You know, I'm reminded... Of what our Lord once said, even as you have done unto the least of these, you have done unto me. I'm reminded of what God's word says in the Proverbs about speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And God said, don't say you didn't know about it because you do know about it. Y'all ever read those Proverbs? Rescue those being led forth to the slaughter. Now, we we hear about that proverb a lot from pro-life folks who want to uh, stop abortion, and and, and God bless the Supreme Court justices who overturned Roe, but I think it applies to more than just abortion. Attorney McBride also cited the disgusting unsanitary living conditions in the jail, including the presence of black mold, Rats, roaches, and being forced to drink brown and or black-looking water. The lawsuit also alleges that Quaglin has been purposefully exposed to danger by being housed in notoriously hostile parts of the jails. Unlike other January 6th detainees who occupy what is called the honor pod, Petitioner is forced to live in dangerous sections of the jail that are notorious for housing the Bloods, MS-13s, and highly dangerous cartel members. The filing continues, NNRJ does this to punish Petitioner by making him live in a constant state of fear and anxiety about what may happen to him at any given moment. The complaint includes email correspondence between McBride and Hall, the jail superintendent, in the emails. Hull repeatedly claims that Quaglin's rights are being protected, that he is receiving celiac-compliant food, 
being offered medication and that it is McBride and Quaglin who are causing problems. In a March 9th email, Hall said, Documentation reflects that your information is inaccurate. While there is evidence to suggest that your client is less than compliant with his dietary requirements, he is nonetheless being provided a menu that is consistent with his medical condition. Hall claimed that Quaglin was only served a standard lunch one time and it was an incidental mistake. McBride complained that Quaglin was put in solitary confinement after an altercation with a member of a notorious international street gang, but Hall claimed Quaglin was the one who was responsible for the fight. When McBride threatened to file a lawsuit if he was not allowed to have a video conference with his client, Hall replied, then sue me. Asked about Hall's assertions, McBride told American Greatness that the superintendent is an evil piece of human trash and a lying scumbag who has been hurting people over there forever. He said the prison has been purposefully serving Quaglin food that they know will make him sick, including cream of wheat. McBride said Quaglin is rotting from the inside out because he has been denied the diet he needs to stay healthy. What's more, McBride told American Greatness Quaglin was not responsible for the fight with the gangbanger. The two had exchanged words. And when Quaglin offered to talk it out because he's a stand-up guy, according to McBride, the gang member lured him to an isolated spot where they could do just that. The thug proceeded to beat Quaglin outside the view of the guards to the point where he required eight stitches next to his right eye. During his discussion with Horowitz, McBride called the disturbing state of affairs a form of anarcho-tyranny and said we are living under a regime that hates God, hates patriotism, hates the United States of America. and views the United States of America as an obstacle to the achievement of its global order. He said, that spirit is what you find personified in someone like Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, and somebody like Joe Biden. Well, I'm not going to call him president, but he does. When Joe Biden goes up there and calls these people insurrectionists and calls these people terrorists, even though they haven't been charged with insurrection, even though they haven't been charged with terrorism. Why is he doing that? He's doing that to create a subhuman, subconstitutional class of people. Attorney McBride said it's the same evil that manifested itself in Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, and Nero's Rome. He said that zebra doesn't change its stripes, so when he's up there talking about these people and saying they're subhuman, subterrorist insurrectionists, Everybody in that prison system who has a badge and uniform on that believes what he is saying feels inspired and feels green-lighted to light these people up, to torture them, to spit on them, to smack them, to mace them, to laugh at them, to mock them. McBride said, I have literally heard hundreds of stories where officers would go to the cell where someone is praying on their knees with the Bible and say to them, where is your God now? That's evil. That's the deepest part of evil. McBride told Horowitz over the blaze, there is a criminal case to be made against the abusive prison officials in court, 
and his team is documenting everything. He said, we are making the case in civil court and in criminal court, and we're going to sue them for millions of dollars in each of these cases for the myriad of abuses that have taken place. But in order for that to happen, we have to go through it. In order for that to happen, these guys have to hold fast and abide in very difficult circumstances. They're trying to break these men, and they're financially crippling their families as well in order for us to get to the point where these civil rights lawsuits can become right. People have to endure. McBride said this cruel disregard for basic human rights is all part of the regime's ever to dehumanize the January 6th political prisoners. The lawyer told Horowitz, we have to fight and, we, and we're made to look like outliers and nutjobs because we're advocating for the truth. He said the reason the regime has been able to get away with so many violations of human rights is because they were able to label Trump supporters as subhumans. He said they were able to label an entire political class. There it goes again. He said they were able to label an entire political class as problematic. And they used the full prosecutorial apparatus of the U.S. government to descend upon them and their families to send shock and awe into middle America, the Southwest, and the West. American Greatness reached out to both the Northern Neck Regional Jail and the D.C. Central Detention Facility for comment on the allegations of abuse, but did not hear back. Okay, that is uh, Deborah Hine over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. Article entitled, Lawyer Says January 6th, Clients are being tortured. And obviously they are. And I don't know about the state that you live in. But I live in Arkansas. And none of our members of Congress will say one word in defense of the January 6th political prisoners, not a word. And all of our members of Congress claim to be Christians. So it's, uh, it's odd, isn't it? It's disturbing. Our two senators, Tom Cotton and John Bozeman, and our four U.S. representatives, French Hill, Bruce Westerman, Rick Crawford, Steve Womack, cannot be bothered to speak up for these people. And I got to tell you, the problem is eventually the way this country is going, and uh, clearly none of the six People in Congress from Arkansas see it. But clearly, the way this country is going, at some point, Tom Cotton, John Bozeman, Bruce Westerman, French Hill, 
Rick Crawford and Steve Womack might need someone to speak up for them. I'm just saying. But they don't see that. And that's a shame. If you can't see where this is going, if you don't understand that they do plan to indict Trump even though they got nothing on him because they know that 95% of people in Washington, D.C. vote for Biden, you get a jury of those people, and they would love to, to convict Trump regardless of no evidence that he broke any laws. They want to see him in an orange jumpsuit. If you're a member of Congress, you don't understand that. You don't understand you're next. I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Speaking of uh, Trump, the Mar-a-Lago raid, the whole thing, we've got um, we've got new developments coming up on that front. And so that will be of great interest to you, I'm sure. Now, having said that, I, I just want to mention once again how thankful we are for our advertisers who are our friends and without whom we would not be able to do what we do five times a week. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American health care. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system, and yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. All right, thank you again so much to our advertisers, my doctors, my friends, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. They have helped me so much. They have helped my wife so much. They have helped so many people that we know so much. All right. Let me, um, let me give you an update here on the Mar-a-Lago raid. This just dropped this morning from Margot Cleveland over the Federalist.com. Redacted Mar-a-Lago affidavit confirms 
Biden's DOJ fished for a crime to pin on Trump. Subtitle. Manipulating the criminal code to find a basis to search the home of a political enemy represents an appalling weaponization of the criminal justice system. And again, before I get into the article, again, I would remind you of a quote from a Lutheran pastor in Germany after World War II. I named uh, Martin Nymoller. And he said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, And there was no one left to speak for me. Now, I say that because there are 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives. There are 100 members of the United States Senate. And uh, only a handful of these people are speaking out on behalf of the political prisoners being tortured in federal prison. And see, here's, here's what I don't get. A lot of these people, not all of them, but a lot of these people are really bright, really bright. For example, I'm sure Tom Cotton has an IQ 50 points higher than mine. He's really smart. So how is it he can't put the pieces together? Has he spoken out against the Mar-a-Lago raid? The FBI did on Trump? Well, of course, of course, of course, of course. He gets that. But what they're doing to the January 6th political prisoners? Nope. Can't be bothered with that. For that matter, Bruce Westerman. Now, don't be waylaid by the accent. Okay? Especially if you're from above the Mason-Dixon line, Bruce Westerman sounds like a good old boy. But the first time he started talking policy to me, I was like, good grief. Man, this guy's a lot smarter than I am. You would think people like this would understand that if people working for the Biden regime 
feel like they can torture political prisoners with impunity in federal prisons, then we're all at risk. You would think people like this would understand that when Democrat politicians act like they don't have a care in the world, that Republicans are never going to be in power again, that they fully plan on stealing it again in 2024 like they did in 2020. When Biden can just go out and say, oh, I'm forgiving all the student debt. Um, A few months after Nancy Pelosi says he doesn't have the uh, constitutional authority to do that. Yeah, I'll do it anyway. Why are they acting like they're not going to see pushback in the congressional midterm election this November and the next presidential election two years from this November. Well, why Why do you think that is, Tom Cotton, John Bozeman, Bruce Westerman, French Hill, Rick Crawford, Steve Womack? Why do you think that is? These guys who actually act like Joe Biden got 81 million votes in 2020. But the Democrats are in, in, in danger of losing in 2024. Really? These are just some things that occur to me, and I digress when I'm trying to get to an article. Margot Cleveland at The Federalist says the search warrant affidavit unsealed on Friday confirms The Department of Justice used a bait-and-switch tactic to justify the FBI's unprecedented raid of former President Donald Trump's home. The unredacted portions of the affidavit further expose the Biden administration's manipulative and tenuous basis for the search and its reliance on inapplicable federal criminal code provisions to justify the targeting of a political enemy. At noon on Friday... The search warrant affidavit used by the DOJ to obtain a warrant to raid Trump's Mar-a-Lago home hit the public court docket, albeit with heavy redactions. While sparse, the unredacted portions of the affidavit nonetheless proved significant, especially when read in conjunction with a previously unsealed search warrant and the leaks to the compliant media cartel. Before noting that the investigation began as a result of a referral, the U.S. National Archives and Records Administration sent to the U.S. Department of Justice on February 9th of this year, the affidavit opened... The government is conducting a criminal investigation concerning the improper removal and storage of classified information in unauthorized spaces, as well as the unlawful concealment or removal of governmental records. The affidavit then summarized the background of the referral from the National Archives and Records Administration Explaining that on February 9th, 2022, 
the special agent in charge of the National Archives Office of Inspector General sent a referral via email to the Justice Department. The referral explained that the National Archives White House Liaison Division Director had reviewed 15 boxes they had retrieved from Mar-a-Lago, including newspapers, magazines, printed news articles, photos, miscellaneous printouts, notes, presidential correspondence, personal and post-presidential records, and a lot of classified records. Search warrant affidavit explained of most significance was that highly classified records were unfolded, intermixed with other records, and otherwise improperly identified. Now, while the next nearly eight pages of the search warrant affidavit remained redacted, the disclosures that followed exposed the affidavit's focus on classified records as a sham. The affidavit continued, on or about May 6, 2021, National Archives Records Administration made a request for the missing Presidential Records Act records and continue to make requests until approximately late December 2021. When the National Archives was informed, 12 boxes were found and ready for retrieval at Mar-a-Lago. Margot Cleveland says, as I explained previously, to fully comprehend the Biden administration's weaponizing of the DOJ and FBI, it's necessary to understand the Presidential Records Act, the concept of presidential records, and the National Archives' role and the search warrant affidavits references to those concepts confirm that point. In short, the Presidential Records Act provides that documents created or received by the president or his immediate staff, such as memos, letters, notes, emails, and other written communications related to a president's official duties constitute presidential records and must be preserved. The act further declares the United States shall retain complete ownership, possession, and control of presidential records. And at the conclusion of a president's term in office, the archivist of the United States assumes responsibility for the custody, control, and preservation of and access to the presidential records. Presidential Records Act, however, expressly excludes specific documents from the definition of presidential records, including any documentary materials that are official records of an agency, personal records, or extra copies of documents produced only for convenience of reference when such copies are clearly so identified. The federal statute further defines personal records as diaries, journals, or personal notes not prepared or utilized for or circulated or communicated in the course of transacting government business or materials relating to private political associations or relating exclusively to the president's own election to the office of the presidency. The public, understandably, may wish to sidestep the minutiae of the mandates of the Presidential Records Act, 
But three top-line takeaways prove imperative to understanding the scandal of the Mar-a-Lago search. First, the Presidential Records Act is not a criminal statute. And violations of that federal law do not constitute a crime. Second, the Presidential Records Act does not reach broad swaths of documents retained by a former president, including official records of an agency, personal records, and convenience copies of presidential records. And third, the courts have refused to question a former president's conclusion that a record constitutes a personal record and not a presidential record. Two additional legal points require expansion for the populace to fully grasp the outrageous overreach of the DOJ, which was further exposed in the partially unsealed affidavit. The first legal principle of note concerns the president's power to declassify documents. As Trump's attorney stressed in a May 2022 letter to the DOJ, which the government released along with the redacted version of the search warrant affidavit, a president has absolute authority to declassify documents. Oh, yeah. Trump's lawyer, Evan Corcoran, explained in his correspondence with the DOJ, under the U.S. Constitution, the president is vested with the highest level of authority when it comes to the classification and declassification of documents. Citing both the United States Constitution and Navy versus Egan 1988, wherein the U.S. Supreme Court wrote, the president's authority to classify and control access to information bearing on national security flows primarily from this constitutional investment of power in the president and exists quite apart from any explicit congressional grant. Attorney Corcoran countered the DOJ's attempt to frame the National Archives' discovery of documents marked classified as warranting criminal investigation. Now, you know, this sounds eerily familiar to what attorney Mike Davis said on my show late last week. That was Thursday. And you know, it even sounds eerily familiar to what attorney Mike Davis told Sandra Smith and John Roberts on America's Newsroom on Fox News Channel the next day. So why do they act like they don't know this? Why do they act like he didn't say it? Why do they act like, oh, I don't know, man. Uh, looks like DOJ. I don't know. Uh, Trump, oh, I don't know. I saw the opening of uh, Trey Gowdy's Sunday night show on Fox. I've never seen him smirk like this before. And he for sure... He for sure acted like he didn't know anything about any of this. But Trey Gowdy, he talks a good game, you know? Yeah, he's he's really good at acting like, oh, I don't know, man. We're going to get to the bottom of it. Just like his buddy, Lindsey Graham, from South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going we're gonna to produce a report. We're going to find out. No, he was... Trey Gowdy was all about giving the benefit of the doubt 
to the Biden regimes completely out of control. DOJ and FBI last night. No question. No, he wants people to think, I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe Trump's in the wrong here. Yeah, maybe maybe Trump's screwed up. I don't know, man. Well, uh, no, I, I, I can't do Trey Gowdy's voice. But, yeah, he's acting like, yeah, who knows, man. Maybe, maybe Trump goofed up. Maybe, maybe Merrick Garland and the DOJ and the FBI are in the clear here. And that's what you get on Fox News. Don't get me wrong. I like Bongino. I like Mark Levin. They come on the weekends. Tucker does a great job during the week. But overall, the people in charge of Fox News are trying to take it liberal. Last night. Unbelievable. They did a a news break in the middle of the night last night where their, um, their reporter was talking about uh, somebody who had shot a couple of people at a mall in Bend, Oregon, and the gunman was using an assault-style weapon. Now, why would Fox News... Why would Fox News use... The lingo, the verbiage of the gun grabbers. Yes. Jackie Ibanez, Fox News, did a breaking news segment about 2 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Central, on Fox News about a gunman in Bend, Oregon, shooting people with an assault-style weapons. Not, not a whole lot of journalism left there. And um, Trey Gowdy, man. You know what? Before I get back to this, uh, this article, Margot Cleveland from the Federalist, let me just tell you something about Trey Gowdy. So I used to be on the big talk radio station in my hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. Dream come true. News Talk 1110, WBT, Charlotte. And um, got to interview Trey Gowdy one time. The Charlotte market, the Charlotte metro is so big, it's like 16 counties and some of them are North Carolina, some are South Carolina, and one of our counties was part of Trey Gowdy's district when he was a congressman, so he was happy to come on my show. This is before the Benghazi committee. I had no idea that Trey Gowdy was ever going to be chairing a committee looking at Benghazi. But Benghazi was a popular topic to talk about in political talk radio at the time. So I mentioned to him, Congressman, Colonel David Hunt had an article on Breitbart saying all these people asking who gave the stand-down order 
when it comes to Benghazi, they're all asking the wrong question. No stand-down order was needed. For President Obama to have sent reinforcements across national borders, he would have to have signed an an official document called the Cross-Border Authority. That's what he had to sign when we took out bin Laden in Pakistan. He even had to sign it when we rescued that ship captain who was taken by the... um, the pirates off the coast of Somalia. So if you really want to find out what happened and why we didn't get our guys there to protect our guys that were under withering fire from these Islamic jihadists in Benghazi, you got Obama saying that he met with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and Sekdef Panetta at 5 p.m. Eastern in the Oval Office saying, I'll do whatever you have to do to protect our guys in Benghazi. Okay, so where is the signed cross-border authority document? That's the question you need to ask. So I told Trey Gowdy that in the course of our interview, and let me tell you something. Trey Gowdy is smart as a whip. I don't think he ever lost a case as a federal prosecutor. Got a mind like a steel trap. So I was fascinated a couple of years later when the report on Benghazi comes out from Trey Gowdy's committee looking into it, and I searched this seven or eight hundred page document for the phrase cross border authority, and you know what? It wasn't in there anywhere. So that really made me wonder what Trey Gowdy wanted to find out, and maybe what he didn't want to find out. I'll tell you, man. I'll tell you. I think um, I think we got a real problem that not everybody who think we think is on the side of the Constitution and freedom and justice actually is. So let me get um, back to the rest of this article. Yeah, from Margot Cleveland, the Federalist article entitled Manipulating the Criminal Code to Find a Basis to Search the Home of Political Enemy represents an appalling weaponization of the criminal justice system. Trump's lawyer stressed a second significant legal principle in the same letter, writing that presidential actions involving classified documents are not subject to criminal sanction. Then, After noting that any attempt to impose criminal liability on a president or former president that involves his actions with respect to documents marked classified would implicate grave constitutional separation of powers issues. Attorney Corcoran wrote, Beyond that, the primary criminal statute that governs the unauthorized removal and retention of classified documents or material does not apply to the president. The attorney for the former president then quoted the statute that criminalizes the removal, possession, or retention of classified materials 
before stressing that an element of this offense, which the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt, is that the accused is an officer, employee, contractor, or consultant of the United States. Trump's attorney continued, the president is none of these before concluding, thus the statute does not apply to acts by a president. Attorney Corcoran closed his letter by reminding the DOJ of its obligation to be candid in representations made to judges and requested that a copy of the lawyer's letter be provided to any judicial officer who is asked to rule on any motion pertaining to this investigation or on any application made in connection with any investigative request concerning this investigation, as well as any grand jury considering evidence in connection with this matter or any grand jury asked to issue a subpoena for testimony or documents in connection with this matter. The search warrant affidavit referenced Corcoran's letter and provided a copy to Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt who issued the search warrant. The DOJ also informed Reinhardt of a Breitbart News article from May 5th, 2022, which states that a former Trump administration official, Cash Patel, had characterized as misleading reports of documents retrieved by National Archives and Records Administration included classified material. Patel alleged that the reporting was misleading because Trump had declassified the materials at issue. The DOJ informed... Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt of the above details and thus, in essence, that the government lacked probable cause to search Mar-a-Lago based on a violation of the statute governing the mishandling of classified documents, but what Trump's legal team did not foresee and what the search warrant affidavit revealed was that the DOJ would twist the facts to find other crimes to justify the targeting of Trump. The introductory section of the affidavit summarized three other legal theories to justify the search, stating first, that the FBI's investigation has established the documents bearing classification markings, which appear to contain national defense information, were among the materials contained in the 15 boxes retrieved by the National Archives Records Administration. Second, the affidavit maintained there was probable cause to believe that additional documents that contain classified national defense information or that are presidential records subject to record retention requirements currently remain at Mar-a-Lago. And third, the affidavit claimed there was also probable cause to believe that evidence of obstruction will be found at Mar-a-Lago. These legal theories track the three statutes cited by the DOJ to justify the search, namely 18 U.S. Code 793, 1519, and 2071. Margot Cleveland says here in The Federalist, as I previously explained, none of those criminal code provisions require material to be classified for there to be criminal liability. Rather, Section 793, also called the Espionage Act, makes it a crime for a person having unauthorized possession of access to or control over national defense information to willfully share that information with a person not entitled to receive it or to willfully retain the national defense information 
and failed to deliver it to an employee of the United States entitled to receive it, if the possessor has reason to believe it could be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation. The unredacted portions of the search warrant affidavit reveal how the DOJ manipulated the facts to fit within the Espionage Act. First, for the Espionage Act to apply, the material must qualify as national defense information. To establish probable cause that national defense information remained at Mar-a-Lago, the affidavit noted that a review by FBI agents of the 15 boxes retrieved by the National Archives and Records Administration identified documents with classification markings in 14 of the 15 boxes. The FBI agent who signed the search warrant affidavit then attested that based on his training and experience, he knows the documents classified at these levels typically contain national defense information. So what the DOJ did here then was this. It highlighted that the documents retrieved by the National Archives Records Administration contained classification markings and then used the FBI agent's expertise to establish the documents that receive a classification marking typically include national defense information. That Trump declassified or may have declassified the documents is irrelevant under this analysis because the fact that they were ever classified would mean they likely qualified as national defense information. So the DOJ suddenly confirmed this point by dropping a footnote that explains that 793 does not use the term classified information but rather criminalizes the unlawful retention of information relating to the national defense. The footnote continues by noting that section does not define information related to the national defense, but adds that the courts have construed national defense information broadly. In other words, the DOJ bent the Espionage Act to fit the facts of Trump's possession of documents in Mar-a-Lago. The Biden administration could not target Trump for mishandling classified material, both because he declassified it and because a statute that criminalizes such mishandling doesn't reach a president or a former president. So instead, they tried to find a crime to get the man. Even then, there's a second problem with the DOJ's reliance on the Espionage Act. An Espionage Act violation only occurs if the person has unauthorized possession of, access to, or control over the national defense information. But how was Trump's possession unauthorized? From the unredacted portions of the affidavit, it appears the DOJ maintained that Trump's possession of the national defense information was unauthorized because the documents were presidential records wrongly retained by Trump. But presidential records do not include agency records, personal records, or convenience copies. And the documents bearing classification markings likely originated from intelligence community agencies and or were hard copies printed for convenience, meaning Trump's possession of those documents would not be unauthorized under the Presidential Records Act. For the same reason, the DOJ's reliance on Section 2017, which criminalizes the removal, destruction, or concealing of government records, falters because that criminal provision 
protects the government's own access to its own records. And merely possessing copies of government records is not enough to constitute a crime. Yet, from the search warrant affidavit and the search warrant, it appears the government sought to recover from Trump hard copies of information it already had within its possession, either through various agencies or the electronic copies maintained by the relevant authorities. And it is a stretch for the government to rely on Section 2017 to criminalize Trump's possession of its records. Again, what we're seeing is a bending and twisting of the law to find a crime on which to launch the Mar-a-Lago raid. Mishandling of classified materials wouldn't work. And Trump's attorney made sure the DOJ knew that, so the creative team working under Attorney General Merrick Garland combed the federal code and found two plausible statutes on which to rely, adding a claim of obstruction of justice to round out the search warrant affidavit. While it's unclear from the affidavit the basis for the government's obstruction of justice allegation, the affidavit establishes that the other criminal provisions relied upon representing illicit maneuvering to manufacture a crime for the man who was their political enemy. Americans may shrug when prosecutors use pretext to target known drug dealers or human traffickers, but manipulating the criminal code to find a basis to search the home of a former president and a political enemy represents an appalling weaponization of the criminal justice system. And while large portions of the affidavit remain under seal, the country has seen enough to know that is precisely what the Biden administration did to try to get Trump. That is Margot Cleveland, senior legal correspondent over the Federalist. And the article is entitled, Redacted Mar-a-Lago Affidavit Confirms Biden's DOJ Fished for a Crime to pin on Trump. Now, before we do the tweet of the day, I got to look at uh, some comments here from people who are listening to the live stream. Okay, somebody says a couple of times, can I ask you a question? Sure, go ahead and ask me a question. Um, let me write it down here. Yes. You may ask me a question. See, I can't sit here and look at the live stream page and the comments while I'm reading other stuff from other places. It just doesn't work doesn't work that way, and that's hard for people to understand. Okay, a buddy of mine says it took me a minute to get where I could pull over. Can't argue that Westerman and Cotton may have started out with fairly high IQs, but it would seem that time in D.C. works miracles in arithmetic, whether that be subtraction or division. Something sure happened. But then what good is a high IQ without common sense to start with? Yeah, that's true. But I'm just saying that I don't understand why some of these guys who clearly are brighter than I am uh, can't read the tea leaves, don't see what's coming. It's just 
It is amazing. It is remarkable to me. I mean, how hard would it be? First they came for these guys. I didn't say anything because I wasn't one of them. Then they came for these guys. Okay, that's cool. I didn't say anything because I wasn't one of them. I mean, you you realize, you understand Biden's not in control, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I took control. I shouldn't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. That's what Joseph Robinette Biden, who some people insist on calling president, said in the Oval Office. Oh, I'm sorry. I took control. I shouldn't have done that. I'm not allowed to do that. And and you wonder why I refuse to call him president? He's not. I mean, you think this guy is in charge of anything? Oh, I'm sorry. I took control. I shouldn't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. Really. And you think this guy's in control? I'm not even going to lie, fam. I I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I, I can't help you. If you think this guy is actually present, if you think he's actually in control, you know, the fact that you're not paying attention, I, that's um, not my fault. Did you see the video that went viral of his wife actually taking him by the shoulders and moving him like a mother would a six-year-old? Have you noticed that at all? I, I've never seen anything like it before. I don't know if you learned in history, but there there is a precedent for what is going on with Biden and with Jill. Yeah, so a couple of years... before the end of Woodrow Wilson's second term, he had a stroke. Yeah, he was pretty much incapacitated the last couple of years of his second term. And his wife, Edith, basically ran the White House, right? So we know that Joe has had aneurysms you know, before he even took office, right? So, uh, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, you never know. All right, let's hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by Red River Your Way, redriveryourway.com, big old car dealership in the middle of the U.S., Believes in freedom. 
including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door. Today's Tweet of the Day is actually a thread from the great John Hayward. He's a writer over at Breitbart News, and here's what he has to say. Fascism, the system in which capital is privately owned but controlled by the state and ruling party, is so dangerous because it removes all restraints on power. The party's private sector loyalists can do whatever the state is legally barred from doing. Of course, the first thing rapacious politicians always do with money and power is grab more money and power for themselves. Fascist systems never rest long with the fiction of a government nominally committed to individual rights while party-controlled capital violates them. You ever think about that? I mean, that's, that's pretty important. He says it's baffling that so many people fail to understand this and pretend not to, even after centuries of experience. Let a politician take a dollar, and no matter what reason he gave for seizing it, his first instinct is to use it to grab another dollar. Fascists will reliably use the extra power they derive from controlled capital to get more power. They won't be satisfied with using little tricks to bend the rules forever. Oh, no. They'll challenge the rules to remove limits on their power as fast as possible. Meanwhile, the party tightens its grip on controlled capital using that muscle to suppress resistance against its power grabs. One obvious technique we see in the modern era is using fascist power to suppress speech and dissident political organization. Membership of the party and loyalty to its ideology becomes the most important path to success in the controlled corporations of the so-called private sector. Ideology infuses everything they do. Loyal mediocrities are promoted quickly while talented troublemakers languish. Corporate management becomes indistinguishable from the party itself. When this damages corporations because they stop caring about their mission of serving customers and increasing profits, party loyalists know the state will step in with financial and regulatory support. The common folk begin noticing that corporations no longer seem to respect or value them. Well, as organs of the party with managers who see themselves as party luminaries, companies become arrogant and contemptuous. They will punish so-called customers for voting the wrong way. Of course, those ideologically reliable business managers are not high officers of the party, and eventually the party needs to remind them of their subordinate role. Wings must be clipped. You see this happening in fascist China today all the time. As the direct power of the state grows and individual rights are swept away, the state begins needing its private sector partners less. 
Eventually, a conflict erupts when owners of controlled capital challenge party dogma, usually when idiotic policies hurt business. This crisis is invariably resolved by the party slapping down disloyal business partners, often with lethal violence. You see, no matter how important you billionaires might think you are to the party, they have the guns. They have a monopoly on force, and they will use it. This is why fascism always becomes feral and spreads so much misery and why it's so friendly to otherisms that increase collective power. Fascism adopts other ideological tools that create useful political energy for suppressing dissent and controlling capital. Fascism is very fertile ground for ideologies that divide people into warring camps and privilege party loyalists above others. The fascist wants his private sector partners to look out their boardroom windows and see armies of party shock troops perpetually on the march. The state hopes it can avoid the messy business of killing and imprisoning dissenters using guns to remind corporate bosses who is the boss of all bosses by displaying so much muscle that dissidents are intimidated out of organizing or taking action against the party. The owners of controlled capital are constantly reminded that the people owe their loyalty and obedience to the state and its ruling party, not their employers and providers. The party has a monopoly on defining and imposing so-called justice. Only the party acts for the good of all. Oh, my goodness. He continues in a long thread, but well worth reading. Fascist leaders are insecure and paranoid by nature since the party always becomes a den of vipers with vicious backstabbing and factional power plays. They never think they have enough muscle on the streets, enough control over speech, enough money in their coffers. That's where all the ugly, bloody, hateful business of fascism comes from, the persecutions and genocides. Insecure fascist leaders need to keep the people at each other's throats. They need enemies. They need loyal subjects who view dissident from party ideology as a mortal sin. And the factions within a fascist state want their own armies of super-loyalists to consolidate their hold on the all-important collective resources of a socialist system. Each faction wants to be seen as too powerful to disobey or betray. Individual leaders fight for supremacy. When political power becomes the most valuable resource in a nation, the resource that controls all others, that resource will be aggressively cultivated and bloody wars will be fought over it by very ugly people masquerading as your moral and intellectual betters. And since fascism makes the ruling party synonymous with both the state and corporate management, it always becomes a one-party system with no way to access power except 
becoming an officer of the party. The little people have no say in any matter of great importance. Well, this is just amazing. The, the way this guy has with words is just amazing. He says, one party systems make a mockery of democracy and representative government. The party selects the so-called candidates and holds fortified elections in which all those who might threaten its grip on power are preemptively disqualified. That is the great John Hayward over at uh, Breitbart with the, uh, the tweet of the day. And I'm the, not even a lie, fam. It is eerie. It is eerie. Again, it uh, it is remarkable to me that we have these smart politicians that are a lot of them are a lot smarter than me. Okay? And they don't get it. They don't see what's coming. And uh, for the life of me, I do what I can from this platform, and I'm thankful that the numbers on this podcast, one of our IT guys did some research over the... uh, over the weekend. And while we don't have Joe Rogan style numbers, we're actually in the top 2% of numbers of podcast downloads in the world. Okay, so somebody who is um, listening to the, the live stream in real time said he had a question for me. He said, what are your values? I said, I believe the Bible. He says, I want to know why the left and the right fight so much. Okay, well, that's easy. Oh, this gentleman's from uh, Australia. Okay. It's amazing. Not only do we have people listening in all 50 states of the United States, but we have people listening in like over 30 different countries. Okay, so this gentleman listening in uh, Australia said, I want to know why the left and right fight so much. I'm from Australia. So as I try following the U.S. news, but it's hard to know what you're getting news-wise. And so I responded, okay, the left believes in an all-powerful government taking away all your freedom. They want to be able to send people to camps, as they recently did in your country. The right believes in freedom and liberty. Thank you for listening in Australia. Please spread the word about our show. Fantastic. All right. That having been said, you've been listening to episode 227 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, 
Simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. And that's the way it is. Monday, August 29th, 2022.